Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 9, beginning with verse 18 this morning. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. As we look at this passage, I entitled it, Failure Repeated. Do you ever wrestle with failure? Incidentally, I'm not giving a Mother's Day message today. I I gave that up years ago. Uh, The last Mother's Day message I gave was back in Ecolaca, Montana, and a group of the ladies came to me afterwards and said, you were tough on us this morning. We're going to wait and see if you're as tough on the men on Father's Day or not. And if not, you're in trouble. (laughs) Fortunately, there's five weeks between Mother's Day and Father's Day. And so uh, they forgot. (laughs) But uh, as I said, the mothers are probably overworked and underpaid. And so I'm not going to put an extra burden on on them this morning. We're going to continue our, our study of Genesis here. But we all wrestle at times with failure. Have you ever had that experience where you say, oh no, I did it again. Uh, We often fail in the same areas over and over again. Sometimes it's a habit. Sometimes it's a failure to stop and think what we're doing. Sometimes it's stupidity. We, we, We just repeat the same acts over and over again. As we look at this scripture account, we're not alone in that struggle. With failure. As we look at the life of Noah, he was no exception. He failed in this particular case. And we wonder how could God use a man like this? How could a man of such great faith fail in a moment of weakness? And that's what we want to look at and see what can we learn from it this morning. I'm going to begin looking at Noah's family just briefly. Uh, specifically, he mentions his three sons here. If you go back to the account of the flood, you'll find that they were born approximately 100 years before the flood. And so they probably had a big part in the construction of the ark, probably worshiped the Lord as, as Noah did. And uh, notice in verse 19, from these three, the earth was populated. There's no indication that Noah and his wife had any more sons or daughters after this. And, and so they became the basis for the, the nations of, uh, and we'll see more of that in, in chapter 10 next week. But, uh, you know, people like to say, well, my ancestors came over on the Mayflower or whatever. I can honestly say my ancestors came over on the ark. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that's all that matters. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here 
today. Uh, but as I, I look at his family here for just a, a moment, and, I, and we'll come back to that as briefly next week at, as we look at chapter 10, I, I want us to notice there's several years between verse 18 and verse 20. In 18, they're coming out of the ark in a sense. Verse 20, uh, Noah plants a vineyard and, and so forth. By this time, you're down to the uh, second generation, from, uh, the, the grandchildren of, of Noah. Now, he had three children when he went into the ark. They didn't have any children at that point. It was after the ark. And so Ham's children, uh, the text indicates that Canaan was his fourth child. So there's quite a few years between those, those verses there. And I, I mention that because too often we, we look at somebody and we see an event in their life and we think that sums up their life. What about all the years in between? I'm going to assume that Noah was faithful to the Lord during those years. I'm, I'm going to assume that, that God worked in his life and he worshiped the Lord. Yes, he had a moment of failure, but which one of us don't? At times, we, we all fail at times. Uh, and that's not the sum total of Noah's life. And, and neither is that failure, perhaps, that something you did in the past, that doesn't define who you are today. Uh, and we'll, we'll come back to that at, as we come to the end of the message. But keep, keep that in mind. This is a, a, an incident that, yes, it did happen in Noah's life. Yes, he failed in this point. But it doesn't define who Noah really was. So why does God included in, in the scripture records then. Why, why would he pick out, what, when you think of all of the years that went on and all that Noah must have done in those years, why does he mention this failure? I think it's to encourage us, to help us realize, yes, at times we may fail too, but God's not finished with us yet. And God is still working in our lives. So let's look at Noah's failure. Now, somebody challenged me on this, and I won't mention what her name was, but she asked if, do you really think Noah failed? I think he did. Uh, not perhaps in the way that you, you're assuming that I think he did this morning. But I'll, I'll, I'll explain why I think he failed in this one incident here. He started well. Notice in verse 20, he went from being a boat builder to a farmer. And uh, it's good for us to remember there were no markets, no farmer's market to go to if you wanted produce, you, you grew your own. You, he had to begin by being a farmer there. That, that tells me a little bit about Noah. It tells me he must have been a patient individual. 120 years from when God gave him the message, had to wait for the, the flood to come there. And, and then of all occupations, he chooses to be a farmer. J, uh, James speaks of the fact of the patience of, of a farmer. I think that maybe that's why the Lord didn't call me to be a farmer. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, we, we, we struggle with that. I always like to say men have more patience than women because Adam had to wait for Eve. Eve didn't have to wait for Adam, so God had to give him the patience. <laughs> uh, uh, but I also realize back in those days in Noah's time and Adam's time, there were no red lights either. <laughs> yeah, you ever get impatient at a red light? Why, why, why do they pick on me? When, when, when they come along. We all struggle with that area, but I, I think Noah was a patient individual. He was also a hard worker. 
he sets a good example for his family in that. Uh, uh, he's, it's a good pattern for his sons to follow there. Uh, I like Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, if a man is not willing to work, he shouldn't eat. I realize one of our presidential candidates has come out with a statement, if, if a man doesn't want to work, he shouldn't have to work. We, we, we should support him. Well, that's okay, except for the fact that in our society, we are somewhere in the 40% range now of individuals that uh, could work or should work, but won't work. And how long can we sustain that? Who's paying the bill? It, it's you and I that as we pay our, our, our taxes there. So Noah set the example here for his family. Uh, he began to work. Uh, the problem comes in verse 21. And he drank of the wine. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine. He became drunk. Now, the question was asked, uh, do you think he failed? Well, maybe he didn't know what he was doing there. I don't buy into that idea. I, I think he knew exactly what he was doing as he made the wine and so forth there. Uh, you have a long history before this of corruption in the world. I think they knew how to make alcohol. I think they knew how to make wine, and, and he was just following that that pattern there. And it was a, a choice on his part. But the problem is not the vineyard. The problem is not the wine. Uh, it was well known probably before that. that the vineyard and the wine is used often in Scripture. In uh, Psalm 104, verse 15, we read, And wine makes the man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains his heart there. And it's used in a positive sense. It is, it is used to... Uh, indicate a, a, a blessing in, in his life. It, you go into some of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, and wine was a part of that. It was offered up to the Lord. In, in uh, the New Testament, we have the wedding at Cana. Jesus turned the water into wine as part of the celebration that was going on there. And then years later, Paul writes to young Timothy in First Thess- Timothy 5.23, it says, drink a little wine for your, your stomach's sick there. And so the problem was not in the making of the wine. The problem was in how he used it. Uh, personally, I, I abstain from alcoholic beverages. Uh, I do that for, for two reasons, uh, and I'm not opposed to people that want to have a glass of wine with their meal and so forth. That, that's between you and the Lord. I don't see that as, as wrong in Scripture. I, I abstain for two reasons. Number one, uh, I was about three or four years of age when I had my first taste of, of alcohol. Now, I've probably had about, I could count on one hand the number of times I've had it since then, but uh, we were at a party in a friend's house, and there were glasses sitting around, and I just picked up a glass and took a drink of it. And it was the nastiest, I don't know whether it was beer or wine or what it was, I, but I uh, it came up pretty fast, <laughs> and I, I have never appreciated the taste of alcohol since then. I, I've tried a couple times, but I, I just do not enjoy it. It, it rates up there with uh, mayonnaise. <laughs> it, uh, uh, so uh, uh, I, I, years later, when my parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, we went, we went back, and the, the individual in whose house they had that party was a close friend and was there. And so I shared with him. He 
he was horrified to think that that happened in his house. <laughs> but uh, we, we had a, a good laugh over it. But the other reason I abstain from it is I don't want to set a wrong example for my children. I appreciate the fact that uh, it's fine. It, there's nothing wrong with it. But uh, ever notice that your children try tend to go to excess in what you allow in your life? You know, the thing that bothers you most about your children is your own weaknesses, your own faults. And so I don't want to pass that, didn't want to pass that example on to my children. I appreciated the fact my son had a few years there where he decided to make his own wine. He had all the equipment and so forth. And he was struggling with alcoholic addiction. His his wife's parents were both alcoholics and so forth. And, and I appreciate the fact that when his first child was born, he got rid of everything in the house that had to do with wine and winemaking. He said, I don't want to leave that inheritance to, to my children there. So it, that that is my personal feeling here. But the problem here was not that he had a glass of wine. The problem is he went to excess and he became drunk. Ephesians chapter 5 warns us against that in verse 18. It says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess. The, the failure here was not that he took a drink. The failure here was that he lost his testimony to his youngest son. He, he lost his testimony to his, his grandson as well. He became a, a poor example to them in what he was doing here. He lost control. It led to exposure here. It led to, to shame. But he wasn't the only one that failed. So did Ham and so did Cain in, in this story. Because as, as you look at the text, it, uh, we, we read it very easily in, in uh English, but uh, Hebrew is a little bit more specific there. The, the word uh, that he uses here, Ham saw, uh, verse 21 or 22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness, and the, the text implies that Canaan was there with him as well. But the word saw that he uses here doesn't speak of a casual glance. He just didn't suddenly see it and, and just go on his way. Uh, the, the word doesn't imply an accidental sighting. It's the same word used in Second uh, or First Samuel, chapter six, verse nineteen. Uh, this is a story where the ark was taken captive by the Philistines. You remember, and uh, it was eventually brought back t- to the nation of Israel. And you come down to verse uh, nineteen there, uh, and it says, "And he struck down some of the men of Beth." Shemesh, because they looked into the ark of the Lord. That's the same word there, looked or saw. And he struck down of the people 50,070 men, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck them. The, the, the word that is used in both cases implies that they violated a boundary. They went beyond what they, they should have done there. The one translation puts it is they gazed with satisfaction that they had no right to look into the ark that this was to be sealed it was to be in the holy of holies and they took the opportunity to 
look into it, see what's in there, uh, just to satisfy their curiosity and so forth. And, and God struck them because this they violated the holiness of God in that case. In this case, he was gazing with satisfaction at, at the failure of his father. And we'll come back to that. Well, no, I'll, I'll deal with it right now. I don't think there was a sexual connotation in this account here. I, I think what was going on was he was failing to honor his father. Uh, remember, years later, the Lord gives the fifth commandment. And if you know what the fifth commandment is, honor your father and mother. Yeah, which, which he says the first command with promise there. We, we are called to honor our father. We're called to honor mother. That's why we celebrate Mother's Day. Time for us to reflect on the blessing that, that they were to us. And, and uh, same thing with, with, with Father's Day there. But here he was reveling in the shame of his father rather than honoring him. He, he looked at it uh, as an opportunity to uh, embarrass his father in a sense. Uh, and the in- implication is here that Canaan was involved in that as well. Now, this did not take God by surprise. If you go back to 21, verse 8, or, or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 21, he says, I will never again curse the ground on the heart of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. I'll never again destroy every living thing. So God knew that failure was a, a real possibility in the life of his children, that their hearts still, they still had to deal with that, that heart issue there. And, and Ham not only enjoys the experience in a sense, but he tries to implicate his two brothers. He tries to get them involved as as well. He he goes and and again the translation of the word there is he told them, but the the implication there is that he told them with delight. This was something he was rejoicing in. Just look at the fool dad made of himself and, and, and on and on he, he's going there. Now his brothers do not enter into that act with him there. Uh, and, and I wonder why Ham felt this way. Perhaps he resented his father's authority. Perhaps it was a, a, an act of rebellion on his part because dad was probably still in control in, in so many areas. Uh, second, or First Samuel chapter 15 speaks of the fact that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And here was an element of rebellion in his heart. He was rebelling against the fact that his father was an authority figure there. And so he enters into this account. But the next thing I want us to look at is Noah's footprints here. Whether we realize it or not, we all have a profound effect upon other people. It may be our family and our children, and that's where it starts. Uh, as I said, what is it that bothers you most about your children? It's your own mistakes, your own failures, your own weaknesses. You, you see it being played out in their life, and, and you want to change that, and, and, and yet you find yourself sometimes powerless to do that uh, because they are unique individuals as, as well there. So Noah was leaving a footprint for his family. Now, by and large, that was a good footprint. Uh, when we come down to Hebrews chapter 11, we'll see he was commended for his, his faith. And he passed that faith on to, to his family and his members. Uh, and yet his example here of failure leads to some serious consequences in the life of Ham and Canaan. As I think of that, I can't help but think of the uh, 
years ago watching a TV ad. Uh, in it, uh, Dad and his little son are washing the car together getting it all shiny and so forth. And, and they get it all done and they sit down under a tree looking at the car and, and dad takes a packet of cigarettes out of his packet and lights up and, and the, it's, it's a advertisement against smoking actually because the, the little boy, you can just see his hand reaching over, picking up that packet. He's leaving the wrong footprint for his son. And, and we can do that if we're not careful. And that's what Noah was, was doing here. And that's where his failure came in. And so it, it's a sobering message for us because uh, we have the responsibility of passing godly values on. And that probably the hardest place to do that is in the home. Because guess what? Your kids know you better than anybody else, and except your wife or your husband. But... Uh, you, you, you're not fooling them. You can fool people out in the world, but uh, you, you don't fool your family. They, they, they see what, what, what's going on there. And so, it, I, I don't like this term, but it leads us into Noah's future. It wasn't actually his future, but I didn't want to break up the, uh, the outline for you because you're going to have to remember these outlines someday. <laughs> so I'm putting it in Noah's future, but it's the future of his family here. He begins with a, a curse upon Canaan. Why not upon Ham? Wasn't he the one that was instrumental in, in this happening? Why, why does he curse Canaan there? Well, I, as I pondered that, I go back to chapter 9, uh, verse 1. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth there. So God had already blessed Ham. And I, I think there's it sets a precedence for what happens later in Scripture. You cannot curse what God has blessed. You can try, but you can't do it. God will not allow it. Uh, you come down to the story of of. The children of Israel, as they're about to enter the promised land, they come around the edge of, of Moab, and Balak is king of Moab. He's afraid they're going to invade his land. And so what does he do? He hires Balaam, the prophet, to come and curse the nation of Israel. And you're familiar with the story. Uh, God says, don't go. So he says, I can't go. The ambassadors come back. They promise more money more payment and uh, he really wants to go but God has said you can't do it and, and then the Lord comes to him and says you go but you be careful to say only what I let you what I tell you to say and and uh, it, it, he was not able to curse Israel because God had blessed Israel and uh, and so in this case God had already blessed Ham and so the curse falls upon, not upon Ham, but upon Canaan, who was with him at the, the time there. Proverbs reveals in chapter 26, a curse causeless will not fall. And it, it wouldn't have done any good for him to curse Ham at this point. Perhaps, though, as you think about that, Noah recognized not just a problem in Ham, but the perversity that was there in Canaan as well. Because he was the father of the Canaanites. They, the ones who inhabited the land that was eventually given to Abraham, uh, he was not the father of the African nations. This passage was used to justify slavery during the Civil War times or shortly before it. They totally missed the, the, 
what the scripture is saying here and totally missed where they, they settled and so forth. This was the Canaanites, a wicked, perverse people who, whose worship included temple prostitution. It included homosexual acts. It, it included orgies. It included child sacrifice. They, they actually would make a statue there of their God out of metal. The, the hands would be open and they would put a fire under the statue. And they would get that statue glowing hot, and then they would take a little baby and put it on the hands of that statue and literally burn it to death. That's the kind of people that the Canaanites became. That's why God said, don't have anything to do with them. I'm going to wipe them out of the land there. Now, praise the Lord, there were some saved out of the land of Canaan. Rahab the harlot came from that area, and she is known as a woman of faith there and commended for her faith there because of the grace of God. But then he pronounces a blessing upon Shem and upon Japheth, and we'll look at that as we move into chapter 10 there. But as we look at his future, it's summed up in verse 28 and 29. Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Uh, as we read those verses, he's the third oldest of the patriarchs in Scripture. Methuselah is the oldest at 969 years. Uh, Noah comes in at, at, at 950 years. What, what is he saying in that? Why is this included here with it, this story? Because he was alive clear down to two years before Abraham was born. Uh, uh, he lived a long time. And... Uh, I think God is saying here, there's more to Noah's life than is revealed in Scripture. He left a footprint that has been passed on from generation to, to generation there. God is honest, and he does reveal sometimes our failures. But I think we need to recognize this is just one incident in the life of a man who walked by faith and uh, and so it brings it down to what is the lessons in it for us today. Uh, I listed four lessons. That, uh, uh, two of them will be up on the board for you. I didn't give my wife the other three, other two. Uh, I, I didn't didn't get them until last night or this morning. So uh, you won't get all four of them on the overhead. But I think that the first lesson that comes out of this for us is be careful what footprint you lead as you walk through this life. We all leave a footprint behind. We, we, we like to use that term of footprint and so forth in the, the world of uh, uh, economics and in the world of ecology and so forth. But what kind of an example are you to your children? Good for mothers to stop and reflect on that. This is Mother's Day. I'm not going to be hard on the mothers. I, I told you I wouldn't do that. But uh, mothers, it's good for you to realize along with the fathers those kids are watching you. They're learning from you. What are they seeing? What, what, what are you teaching them? What, what values are you passing on to them today? You have the tremendous opportunity to influence those children for the glory of God. And that's why he, he, he's allowed you to have them in the, in, in the first place. Now, I realize as I say that, and I, I say that carefully because... Each one of those children have a choice to make. Uh, Shem chose to follow the Lord. Ham chose not to. Uh, and so we 
you, you, you ever wonder as you look at your family, we, we get together about once a year for a family reunion and, and uh, I, I sometimes sit back and think, we're responsible for all of this. That, that, that our parents are all gone, so we're the older generation now. And, and th- th- this is our doings, uh, for good or bad here. But uh, you have the opportunity to reveal Jesus Christ to them. What footprint, what heritage are you leaving as you walk through this life? Are they seeing the character of Christ through your life, through how you act and interact with them and so forth. We need, I think, to be careful how we live so that our children, others around us looking at us will get a glimpse of Jesus Christ. Not not just of us, but of Jesus Christ. What heritage are we passing on? What influence are we being to others today? The second application comes out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Uh, it says, by faith, Noah being warned of God by things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, when we read that, we wonder how in the world could a failure like Noah in this story be such a great man of faith? I think it's important for us to wrestle with that. One failure does not make a person a failure. God, as he summed up Noah's life, saw here a man of tremendous faith. The fact is, all of us will fail sometime in our life. All of us have failed at times. Uh, That doesn't make us, in God's eyes, a, a failure. We have the responsibility in those moments, 1 John 1, 9, to confess our sin. To, to bring it before God, and, and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 12 speaks of the fact that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgression from us. That's a long ways, as far as the east is from the west. You start walking east today, and I don't know why you want to go east, but you well, I don't know why you want to go west either. I think we better just stay here. <laughs> uh, you start going east, you, you will never be walking west. You'll just go round and round the globe. That's not the case of north and south. If you start going north, you come to the North Pole, step over the North Pole, guess what? You're going south. I think God knew a lot about the world when he chose that application. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Now, if that is true, do you believe that's true? Really believe that's true? hear an amen on that I (laughs) there you go all right thank you Santa if that's true then what we did in the past doesn't define who we are today if that's true God has removed Uh, yes there may have been a time when we failed and, and we may still suffer some of the consequences of that and have to live with the consequences of that but that doesn't make us a failure God has forgiven God has removed it. We, we move forward. We're no longer bound by the shame and the guilt of what we did. God has taken that away from us. We are being recreated into the image of Jesus Christ. We don't have to sit back and say, well, I messed up in the past. God can't use me today. 
God is in the business of forgiving the past and of giving us a new start in life. I love Psalm 37 in that connection. Come down to verse 23 of Psalm 37. He says, The steps of a man, a good man, are ordained or established by the Lord. He delights in his way. Now, that's great. Don't you like that verse? Your steps are ordered by the Lord and so forth. But then in verse 24, he says, When he falls, any of you have fallen at times? And if you failed at times, didn't do what God expects you. When he falls, he says, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Yes, there will be times when we fail. There will be times when we have to come to the Lord and say, I've sinned. I I need your forgiveness and cleansing. But in those moments, God takes us by the hand, picks us up, puts us on our feet again and says, get moving. He has restored us. He he has taken that failure out of our life, and we don't have to live under the shadow of the past. God has dealt with it. It's been taken care of on the cross of Calvary. As I said, I had two other applications that I want to look at quick here. I, I think the third one, as I think of what's going on with Ham here, is we need to be careful of rebellion. Beware of rebellion. We'll come back to that as we get next week into the story of of the Tower of Babel there in in the opening part of chapter 11. That was a direct act of rebellion against the Lord. In in Romans chapter 13, we read the powers that be are what? They're ordained of God. We need to recognize that. I don't care whether it's in the home or whether it's in the government or whether it's in the church. I think the powers that be are there for a purpose. God's the one that raises them up. And if if you're always the center of controversy, if you're always pushing the limits, if you're always being critical of, of those in authority, you've got a problem you need to wrestle with. You're leaving the wrong footprint. You, you need to deal with that area of life. And then the fourth one comes out of Proverbs 24 verse 17 in 24 verse 17 he says do not rejoice when your enemy falls do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles if a brother or sister falls it's not a time for us to rejoice galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says if a brother falls you that are spiritual do what Restore such a one. Bring them back to a right relationship with the Lord. Because God is still in the restoration business. God is still in the business of picking us up, putting us back on our feet, and saying, I have a a job for you to do. Get moving. Get on with the work that I've called you to do. God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. And we see that in the life of Noah And I trust you've seen it in your own life. So don't live under the shadow of the past today. Recognize that God has changed you. He's transforming you. And he's moving you forward to the glory of Jesus Christ. Leave behind you footprints of faith today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Noah. Thank you for the great faith that he had. We thank you that in the moment of failure... You weren't finished with him. You picked him up, put him back on his feet, and he was able to live the rest of his life to the glory of God. Give us the courage, Father, to maybe take a hard look at our lives, 
Make sure that we're not failing in some area, and if we are, to confess that. But give us also the courage to believe that if we've confessed, you've forgiven. You've taken it away, and it doesn't define us who we are any longer. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And help us to live that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing because he lives. And as you sing that, I want you to think of several things. I want you to think because he lives, the, uh, the past is forgiven. Because he lives, we have a second chance. He picks us up and puts us back on our feet again and says, get, get moving. We can have a new start. So, Gary, where, where, oh, there you are. You got it all sorted out? We'll turn it over to you.